0: X-ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon. It's Friday, November 6th. Today, back in the day in 1947, the longest-running program in television history made its debut. Meet the Press began as a radio show on the mutual broadcasting system in 1945. The television show premiered two years later on NBC, created by journalist Martha Roundtree and co-produced by Lawrence E. Spivak. Roundtree was the first host and only female host in the program's history, and the show's first guest was James Farley. Farley served as Postmaster General, DNC Chairman, and Campaign Manager to FDR for his first two terms. It's quite a resume. The show originally started out as a 30-minute program but switched to an hour in 1992. The show has had 12 hosts throughout the years, including Tom Brokaw, Chris Wallace, and the current host Chuck Todd. Every US president since Kennedy has appeared on the program. Today back in the day in 1854, John Philip Sousa was born. The composer and conductor was born in DC and the third of 10 children. As a child, Sousa studied piano, violin, flute, several brass instruments, and singing before he was enlisted enlisted in the Marine Corps at 13. Between 1892 and 1931, Sousa and his band toured around the world playing 15,623 concerts. Sousa wrote over 130 marches, his most famous of which, Stars and Stripes Forever, is the National March of the United States. Sousa was a famous early enemy of the invention of recorded music, believing that it would destroy live performance. At a congressional hearing in 1906, he warned, quote, "...the vocal cord will be eliminated by a process of evolution, as was the tale of man when he came from the ape." Back in the day in 1990, Ballot Measure 5 was passed in Oregon, fundamentally changing the state's property tax and school funding systems. The passage of the measure was the result of a sweeping conservatism in the state. The measure focused on property taxes, limiting the amount that school districts could claim. The measure came at a moment when public school funding systems were especially unstable and property taxes in the Portland area were skyrocketing. According to a report by Oregon Business, the first 16 years of the measure reduced local revenue by $41 billion. School funding provided by the state increased by over 40 percent. Even with the boom times of the 1990s and cuts in other general fund programs by 2011, a state legislative panel found that Measures 5 and 50 were the foremost explanation of why funding for K-12 schools fell more than $3 billion short of the amount needed to meet state goals. State funding actually promoted funding equalization for school districts throughout Oregon. The measure is still praised by fiscal conservatives, but progressives believe that Measure 5 has damaged important public services. On today's show, we'll start with your Quick 6 News Headlines. And we have an interview with Dana Haynes, Executive Editor of the Portland Tribune. X-Ray. First up, it's time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Yesterday, the City Council voted against a long-awaited Portland Police Bureau budget cut of $18 million. Last week, after a six-hour budget hearing in which at least 120 Portlanders testified, the City Council postponed the vote for Thursday, November 5th. The proposed cut would have diverted $18 million from the Portland Police Bureau to the Housing Bureau and Emergency Food Assistance. Commissioners Chloe Udaly and Joanne Hardesty voted yes on the budget cut. Commissioner Hardesty called on her fellow commissioners to consider the community's desire for this amendment. She went on to remind people that Portlanders did vote yes on the Independent Police Oversight Board on Tuesday. Commissioners Amanda Fritz and Dan Ryan voted no. Commissioner Fritz pointed out that during the recession, police budgets were cut, which has added to lower police accountability. Mayor Wheeler also voted against it and claimed it was due to a lack of transparency about layoffs associated with the budget cuts. He also alluded to a 19-point police reform plan in the pipeline. Commissioner Hardesty expressed her disappointment in the results. And your daily dose of data. Coronavirus cases are on a steep rise in Oregon. On November 4th, the OHA confirmed 597 new cases and four new deaths. The total cases for the state is now at 47,409, and the total coronavirus-related deaths is at 705. Last week, we saw a spike with 3,542 new cases, a record for the state of Oregon. Additionally, the rate of positive test results jumped to 8.4% from 6.5% the week prior. The ideal rate is under 5%. The OHA has also confirmed 26 cases tied to schools offering in-person learning. 12 were among students and 14 among staff. The cases were spread at 17 different schools, including one in the Portland area. Almost half of those cases were confirmed before October 25th, which poses a conflict in the way OHA shares its data. OHA only updates their school tallies when contact tracers can confirm a case is linked to schools. OHA spokesperson Delia Hernandez told the Oregonian, quote, Information is processed by several individuals, and somewhere along the chain, delays or errors happen. Every day we work hard to improve the data collection process. Last week, Pok Pok owner Andy Ricker announced the beloved Thai restaurant is closing its doors for good. During the pandemic, Pok Pok and its leadership decided against takeout after a chef and close friend of Ricker died from coronavirus in New York. Prior to the shutdown, Pok Pok employed 160 people among their Portland Los Angeles, Las Vegas, and New York restaurants. It's unclear where the Pok Pok legacy will lead, but the owners of Garu Garu told the Oregonian in August that they were approached about taking over the Southeast Division location, which was the only Pok Pok Dynasty restaurant left to open in Portland. For now, Pok Pok wings continue to be sold through Reef Kitchens. In an Instagram post announcing the closure, Rickers said, To the people of Portland, Thank you for the years of support and custom. I will miss you and the city. To my fellow restaurant industry professionals, Susu Carp, which means keep fighting. See you on the other side. After losing to incumbent Ted Wheeler in the mayoral race, Sarah Iannarone delivered a heartfelt message to Portlanders. Here's a clip from her speech. You made a critical choice in this moment. It may not feel like it at this time, But you did some important things. You chose substance over spin. You chose the signal over the noise. And you chose progress over decline. And you have been a leading light in America's fight against fascism. And I am proud that my campaign showed America that everyday anti-fascism is not scary. And here in Portland, we are the front line of solidarity, protecting our most vulnerable communities. And that is why we must remain conscious of all the victories while conceding this one battle. And to that one end tonight, I want to make sure I say a hearty congratulations to Mayor Ted Wheeler for his victory. Iana Arone went on to remind Portlanders to empower Mayor Wheeler to succeed and to hold him accountable. Roughly 53% of Portlanders did not vote for Ted Wheeler. He received 46% of the vote. Iana Arone received 40% and write-in candidates received 12%. The majority of write-in candidate votes likely went to Teresa Rayford. Diana Roan closed her speech by letting listeners know she was not done fighting for the city of Portland. On Wednesday night, Governor Kate Brown activated the National Guard to respond to protests in downtown Portland. At 5 p.m. on Wednesday night, several hundred Black Lives Matter protesters rallied at the North Park blocks and then marched through downtown Portland. Some members of the group began vandalizing businesses as they passed by. Governor Brown has placed Oregon State Police and the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office under executive orders for the rest of the week. This means the Portland Police Bureau is under the command of the Oregon State Police and rules against tear gassing become moot. The gathering was quickly declared an unlawful assembly and by 7 p.m. it was upgraded to a riot. The group first noticed the National Guard's presence around 8.15 when camouflage vehicles began driving in the downtown Portland area. Governor Brown said in a statement, quote, For weeks, Oregonians have called for an end to the violence. I will continue to do everything in my power to keep the peace in Portland and make sure that people can make their voices heard safely. And finally, good news. There are a handful of new additions to the Oregon Film Trail. The new additions are sometimes a great notion, wild, and Coraline. The Oregon Film Trail places markers at iconic filming locations across the state. The signs share basic information about the film, like who made it, what it's about, and the relationship the town has with the film. They also include a quick fun fact on each sign. On Friday, the sign for Sometimes a Great Notion, the movie adaptation of the 1971 Ken Casey novel, will be placed in downtown Toledo. Residents are invited to join in the ceremony. Other well-known films on the Oregon Film Trail include Twilight, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and Goonies. And that's today's Quick Six Local Rundown. X-Ray. And now we have an interview with Dana Haynes of the Portland Tribune. He'll be speaking with Jefferson Smith about what we learned on Election Day in terms of the vote count in Portland and Oregon.
1: Now, we understand what many people around the world and around the country have been paying attention to, and those are the vote counts in Pennsylvania and Georgia and Nevada and Arizona. We're going to focus in particular right now on the vote counts in Portland and in Oregon. And with us, Dana Haynes. Dana, good morning. Hey, Jefferson. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? Doing well, sir. Well, what, are we, what were you watching for most closely? What were the results that were uh, least obvious to you going into Tuesday?
2: we were going to have one kind of Portland city council or a dramatically different Portland city council. And there was really, we really couldn't figure out how the electorate was going to go. If uh, it had gone one particular way, if uh, the mayor had lost uh, to Sarah Iannarone and if Chloe Udaly had hung onto her seat, we would have had a, a pretty progressive left council. And it would have been one with Joanne Hardesty as kingmaker. If those two races went the other direction, and if Wheeler won and if MAPS won, Mingus MAPS won, which they did, then we would have a center-right coalition with those two, Carmen Rubio of the Latino Network, uh, also uh, Dan Ryan, uh, formerly of All Hands Raised. They would be the coalition, uh, kind of a center-left coalition, with uh, uh, Commissioner Hardesty as the outlier to the left. That's what happened, but we couldn't tell until election night which way it was going to go. There was one scenario, there was one needle to be threaded in which four of the five members would have been elected in 2020 and Joanne Hardesty elected in 2019 would have been the senior most and most experienced lawmaker. So it was a wild night.
1: A lot riding on it. And what are some of the dynamics that you notice? It looked to us like, and we only had what was available publicly, but we saw the poll early on that did show Sarah Anarone with a lead over Ted Wheeler. What And, of course, doing a local poll early on, there's going to be a lot of noise in that. But in your mind, what closed the gap?
2: Well, um, Wheeler definitely won on the west side and the central east side. uh, uh, And uh, and Ionarone is winning everywhere else, pretty much. Um, I was talking to Jim Redden, one of our reporters. Jim has been covering Portland since the 1980s. He is a journeyman uh, reporter who's just been around forever and ever. And we all thought that there was a real good chance that Mayor Wheeler was going to lose. And Jim said early on, the night that protesters attacked the Oregon Historical Society netted his victory. And at the time, I thought he was um, overblowing it. But as I look back, I wonder if there weren't enough people who said on that night, "Okay, that institution is beloved. That's it. That's where I draw the line. Haven't decided yet. Now I've decided. Sarah Ayanna Rohn ran very strongly as um, uh, cementing herself to the the protest movement, being part of the protest movement, being physically in the protest movement, um, Ted had excuse me, Mayor Wheeler had a problem going in that he had a really bad then diagram. He had a number of Portlanders who thought he was too uh, lenient with protesters. He had a then di- circle of voters who thought he was too aggressive to the to the um, uh, protesters. He had a group that thought he wasn't protecting downtown. He had another group that thought he was too much of a downtown guy, but somehow all of those. Co- those coalitions shrank a little bit in the last couple of weeks and netted him a win that was improbable. I think a month ago.
1: So he would tear gas Ted, but yeah. then after the historical society, she was historical society protester Sarah Annarol.
2: That's one of the theories. That's a th- that's a theory that one of our reporters, a senior most reporter, has pr- has um, put out there. And the more I get letters to the editor. And comments that come just come in on my Twitter uh, feed, I'm hearing some of that. So it, that, that is a theory. The other thing that happened, of course, is that we're right in the middle of an historic change in how we do policing in Portland. Joanne Hardesty has been pushing that very, very, very hard, but also very fast. There's some other folks who would like to do massive police changing, but want to do it a bit slower and maybe just make sure that the city attorney office is okay with all of the changes and make See if they can't actually get the police union on board with some of them rather than to go bluntly at them with a cudgel. The election on Tuesday night means probably that there are going to be a slightly slower police reform. It seems unlikely that Hardesty is going to get the $18 million cut that she was pushing for this week. um, Point of fact, today uh, from the city council. This is an additional cut to the one that was already made earlier this year. So I think we're still going to see police reform. I think there's a movement for it, but it probably will be a bit slower, and maybe it will involve the lawyers a bit more.
1: Chloe you daily. Loses to Mingus Maps that didn't seem to have a significant change from the primary. At least, you know, she was in the primary, had, what, 65, 70 percent of the people voted for a different candidate. Maybe was 70 percent of the people voted for a different candidate in the primary, and she wasn't able to close that gap. Sam Adams endorsed uh, Mingus Maps, and Mingus Maps uh, seemed to maintain a pretty pretty substantial lead throughout, and really had a lot of the momentum ever since she took on the neighborhood associations. How did you see the dynamics of that race? Feel free, of course, to Correct, whatever I said. Uh,
2: that was an odd one. And by the way, I moderated the uh, City Club debate with those two. And uh, Commissioner Udaly never seemed to get traction, and she never seemed to really fire up a campaign plan. Uh, she sort of, I think she thought that incumbency alone might do it. So she was a bit quieter than I anticipated. Uh, it's clear that Mingus Maps was a good campaigner early on. Um, and he also got some endorsements that, or let me rephrase that. She lost some endorsements that a sitting progressive female incumbent shouldn't lose in Oregon, Governor Barbara Roberts, uh, uh, Governor Kulangoski. Uh, there were a number of, of endorsements that went the other direction, went towards the maps, that raised a lot of eyebrows uh, in uh, progressive uh, Democratic circles here in Portland. She just never quite caught fire. I think she was hoping against hope that just her opposition to policing would be enough. And the, uh, on election night, it wasn't.
1: Other results. You talked about policing. That came out as a big, big winner. Joanne Hardesty might not have got, she endorsed Sarah Anarone. when it was late breaking. That didn't impact the final result of the race enough for Sarah Anarone to be elected. Uh, it did, though, she did, have, though, have a big night and getting, what, 82% of the vote on her police reform proposal?
2: Yeah, 82 is the last number I saw, which is just a stunning number. This is a a measure that voters okayed that would create an independent oversight board. Um, It's going to get 5% minimum of the uh, Portland police budget. It's going to be empowered to investigate all uses of deadly force and deaths in custody. It would compel testimony from police officers and witnesses. That's really controversial. It would have subpoena power. Uh, It it could improve Uh, impose discipline up against officers up to and including termination Um, in order for it to work, in order for this mechanism that Joanne Hardesty had pushed so hard for and which voters are okayed. It's going to have to change state law and it's going to have to change current union contracts. Those are Herculean tasks, both of those. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see if those two things don't happen, if state law doesn't change and if the union uh, contract holds, this will have been much ado about not much at all. Uh, The whole thing about uh, 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 compelling testimony from police officers is really controversial because you end up with a Garrity challenge. Uh, The the Garrity challenge thing was the U.S. Supreme Court in 1967, Garrity versus New Jersey, said under the 14th Amendment, coerced statements prohibit subsequent criminal proceedings. So you could could say, police officer, you have to tell me why you shot that guy. And if the police officer says, I did it because he was sleeping with my wife, That testimony can never be used in criminal trial because you coerced him against his 14th amendment. So that the the DA's offices in the past have not wanted police to be coerced into giving testimony because anything they say cannot be used in subsequent trials. So um, it did pass. It passed huge. What impact it's going to have, how long it's going to be held up in courts, how much it's challenged. We could be talking about this a decade from now.
1: And there is a lot of discussion about is this the kind of earthquake that builds tectonic energy or the kind of earthquake that releases tectonic energy? Is this the kind of thing that says, okay, we dealt with the police, we did that in 2020, now we're going to move on to other things, or is it the kind of thing that continues to build a movement to transform community safety? Uh, that will be something I hope we have more chances to talk about. And that was so, that dynamic of policing, of course, was so. Uh, intertwined with the dynamics of this election. Teresa Rayford as a write-in candidate for mayor, uh, alternatively at times saying, no, I'm not part of that, and other times saying, no, I'm part of that. Uh, how do you think that ended up playing out in the mayor's race? How do you think it impacted the Ted Wheeler, Sarah Ann Aron, uh, mayor's race?
2: Let me do a full disclosure here. I've known Teresa Rayford for a long time. Once upon a time, I was the communications director for uh, Mayor Charlie Hales, And Teresa was organizing all of the Don't Shoot PDX uh, events at the time. And inside our office, we always perceived her as smart as heck, really well organized. Her people were always on message. When we knew that Rayford was going to show up with a a protest, we were always like, oh, good. We get to see how pros uh, protest. And because we have a lot of amateurs who protest in Oregon. She is smart as hell. She got a lot more votes than a write-in normally gets. I'm hoping against hope, and I'm speaking only for myself now, that this means it's the first of the many races that she enters as a candidate in Portland, because I think she's dynamic and, and pretty amazing. That was my editorial. That was from me. Um, the other thing, the, the policing issue, and I'm going to speak now, if I may shift, uh, put my other hat on, from our editorial board perspective at the Portland Tribune, For police reform to really, really work, somebody has to reach out to the police department and say, what you've been doing historically has not worked. Join us in changing. Um, If you go at the police union or the police department and say, you're the bad guys and we'll defeat you, then we'll be in court on this thing forever and ever and ever. But if somebody can go to the police department and say, it ain't working, you're not happy, morale is at an all-time low, if together we could find a new way, what should we do? Um, if, if, for instance, an example of this is if the cuts came through today that uh, uh, Commissioner Hartsey wants, the city's budget office says it will mean layoffs. Who would get laid off? The youngest officers. The youngest officers are the most diverse officers. The youngest officers who would get laid off are the ones most interested in change. And we'd be left with the war horses who have served for 20, 30, 40 years. Those folks probably are not going to change. So. Um I think what a lot of folks in uh, Portland saw in this race was probably a slower and center left way of changing policing will actually make strides forward, whereas in a more um, uh, activists farther to the left effort to ch- create poli- to change policing will probably end up in the courts.
1: Metro had both a race and a transportation initiative, both a seat up for grabs and a vote on whether people are going to be having an additional, or the companies are going to have additional payroll tax to fund additional transportation. What did we learn?
2: Um, well, Mary Nolan was going to win that one because Chris Smith, I've known both of them for ages and ages and ages. And in full disclosure, a long time ago, I was a volunteer for Nolan when she ran for city council. But um, she, uh, as a longtime lawmaker, she it was a, it was a very interesting race. It was one very leftish, wonkish, technocrat running against it, the exact same person. So the, they they were so much more similar than they were different. Uh, she simply had better name recognition, so she was going to win. She is very very smart woman. She is very numbers oriented and math oriented, and she'll want to she'll want to look at at facts. Um, but the the defeat of the five point two billion dollar metro regional transportation measure was interesting. We saw that that was going to fail because. The defections, um, for instance, my newspaper opposed uh, it. In my newspaper has been pro-transit forever and ever. Uh, we saw uh, um, uh, Tobias Reed was not a fan of it. We, we saw uh, Senator Haas uh, over in Washington County was not a fan of it. So when you start getting defections like that, Kurt Schrader, um, that that signals that you've got a real problem. Um, it was going to create a new light rail line between Portland and Tiger Tualatin where it's really, really needed. That part of Washington County is growing so darn fast. Um, they're expected to have a city in the next 30 years that will be the size of Beaverton, Tiger Tualatin combined. Um, that'll be a new community out there. Um, it also was going to put projects in 17 transit corridors. But at the end of the day, the pandemic was just too much for it. At the end of the day, people said, that's a lot of money. This is the wrong time. Uh, the economy's cratering. Businesses are hurting. We just can't do it. So the, that was the, the one vote this year that when we look at it, we can definitely say COVID-19 changed the trajectory of that election.
1: Do you think there was a little bit of a dynamic? There were a bunch of things on the ballot. There was universal preschool. There was a school bond. There was a library bond. There was also this transportation bond. Do you think there was a little bit of like, okay. you know, I'm a I'm a fluffy hearted Portlander. I'm going to vote yes on, you know, most of these pieces of revenue for public services. But maybe I should vote no on one thing. Is that too simplistic an analysis? Do you think there would be we're looking for something to vote no on?
2: I think that's a really good analysis. We were saying early on that the library bond looked like it was going to fail. Um, And uh, at the end of the day, what happened is Portlanders and people in, in Gresham and East County could not could not scribble in that oval that says no to a library. The libraries <laughs> are just sacred here, I and mean, they're just beloved. And so that one, which is going to build a new flagship library on the east side, possibly in Gresham, possibly in Portland, that one surprised a lot of folks by passing. And I think you've got it on the mark. People just feel like I got to vote no on one of these things because my business is hurt. I'm working from home. I, I'm food insecure now. I got to vote no on something. I'm going to vote no on this one. Um, and I think there, I think there's some logic to that. Somebody somewhere who is much younger than me needs to explain to me the pixie dust that Portland Public Schools has, because Portland Public Schools is not a particularly popular organization, and it's not particularly trusted, and it hasn't necessarily used all its money well in the past, and it just blows out the competition when it comes to bond measures. It gets huge numbers and, and passes every time. And um, I will say that uh, it, it is our personal opinion that preschool for all is a game changer, a uh, uh, all of the stats. You can go back 30 years and look at statistics that if people of color and if uh, low-income families get good, high-quality preschool, and if preschool workers get paid a decent wage, you can actually see an uptick of the of the success rate of the students who go through that program. This could be one of those things that, again, you and I may be talking 10 years from now as we look at the stats of the people who were served by preschool for all. I suspect it's going to be
1: impressive
2: and dynamic and easily tracked. It's going to be one of the success stories of this year.
1: As we look forward, and maybe that's 10 years, maybe that's just the next year or two, let's circle back to where we started, and that's the dynamics of the city council. You laid out, listen, the majority, the dominant force of the city council is up in twenty twenty. We now have a number of new city councilors. We have the same mayor. Now you have Dan Ryan and Carmen Rubio. You pointed out now maybe there's a coalition with Ted Wheeler and Mingus Maps and then also Joanne Hardesty. In terms of policy, in terms of choices, in terms of budget making, what do you think now people should be looking forward to or anticipating? What turned on the election on Tuesday?
2: Carmen Rubio ran the Latino Network uh, program and went from a handful of staff to, I don't know, 120 when she left. A very well-organized organization, really knows how to speak for that disenfranchised, that underserved community. Uh, She's highly respected by the business community. Meanwhile, you got Dan Ryan. Dan ran um, All Hands Raised. And not all your listeners are going to know this. All Hands Raised was supposed to be the, the funding mechanism for portland public schools and ryan was the executive director and he went to the school district and said we shouldn't represent pps we should represent all of the districts on the east side of portland because that's where the real poverty is we ought to be raising money for our fellow school districts as well that was his idea and the school district to its credit said you know what you're right we should make this a pan district organization Um, he's he's um respected by the business community. He knows how to raise money. He knows how to advocate for the underserved. Uh, Those two bring a dynamic of, I can work with the business community. I can work across the aisle. I know how to work with coalitions. I know how to keep the lens of, of diversity and equity on every decision. I think those two are going to be a real dynamic, dynamic force. We had an editorial this week that urged them not to think of themselves as rookies, not to be polite to the um to the gray hairs of the of the council but to get there and speak up because the two of them bring with them i think some true leadership progressive leftish well-organized leadership and i think it's going to be dynamic and fun to watch those two
1: dana haynes portland mercury thank you so much it was terrific hearing you
2: always a pleasure
1: be well
0: thanks to dana for joining the local and big thanks to our production team, Executive Editor Will Romy, Supporting Editors and Writers Miranda Sellinger, Jonathan Covington-Brain, Sophie Mallon, Brian Miller, Julia Oppenheimer, Carly Quadros, Jaleesa Ringring, Ryder Sherwood, and Sam Smargiazzi. and Co-Executive Producer and Host Jefferson Smith. I'm Emily Gelliland. Thanks for original journalism and research by The Lund Report, Oregon Health Authority, covid19.healthdata.org, the Oregon Historical Society, Portland Business Journal, KGW, The Willamette Week, COIN, Pamplin Media, OPB, K2, The Oregonian, Statesman Journal and News Partners, The Portland Mercury, Street Roots, Eater, PDX, and Portland Tribune. Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in about 30 minutes. And thank you for subscribing and giving a five-star review. And thank you, Democracy. We'll talk to you Monday.
1: X-Rex,